This is a Three Panels Podcast. I am your most important host, Khalil Chufo. We have Freddie Harris III. You! What they do, my nigga? My girly man, Pascal, in the building. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, Iman, that was very weak. No, that wasn't it. That was Match the weak. energy. Read the goddamn room. Damn. What they do, boy. <laughs> Shouts out to Theo Fire real quick. You know, puts pop a whole town. Holla back. That's what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> So this is, energy in here. this is the last episode of the season. This continues the saga of the Chicago trip. I had a conversation with Akinola from Trinidad. He has a whole Kosume tour and album out right now. You should check it out. He's doing really great things with education, really great things with the music. Really good conversation about both. Nice. Yeah, that's what's up. I never met him personally, but it's good to hear some of his thoughts and, you know, where he aligns himself in the parent game. So, you know. Right. So, without further ado, episode number 12. What we decided to do is to organize like a college university tour, presenting the music, in, but not just performing, but doing a clinic, going through um, some of the more noteworthy universities. One of the persons that is actually going to organize that for me had asked me to have myself videotaped speaking about some of these things. Oh, okay. So this that, is perfect. Yeah, that <laughs> I would be um, speaking about at the clinics. Right. So we speak, then we play some stuff, and then I speak again. Mm-hmm. So it gives them that thing to write the proposal properly. Right. And it also gives them that opportunity to use, um, if they want segments of a video, to have as part of the proposal of me actually speaking. Right. Because you wanted to start talking about uh, Kaiso and jazz okay. and its connection to the roots and the reemergence of, of steel pan as okay. a drum and form of so, communication so i'll go from there yeah i think post slavery abolishment in the western hemisphere which basically would have started off in the caribbean in the 1835 and then in the in america like in, uh, 1865 there was a definite yearning for that man who was once a slave and now could be deemed free or free in some context of the word free, there's a now a yearning for him to return to himself, for him to return to his original state pre-slavery. Now, in that yearning to return to self and his previous existence, a major facet of returning to himself is returning to his culture his culture in terms of sound music dance food fashion etc because one of the major things of slavery one of the major tools of slavery is to remove man away from culture so to remove him from himself and have him in terms of a person that doesn't possess an identity they do possess an identity, but the identity is being the property of a, a slave master right. or some colonial power to be. And within removing a man away from an awareness and appreciation of self, 
you definitely know a stripping of his ability to be resistant and definitely not to mention religion will also play a major factor into that type of stripping of self now something was subdued and placed into a box and stifled for how many years upon years upon years and now that that situation is alleviated in the west here or alleviated um from from some angles with some justifications i think some of the major justification would have been an economic one not that the uh, slave master or colonial powers actually was feeling sorry for the slaves or anything right. there was this yearning as i said before to re-establish culture now with this re-establishment of culture definitely culture would have gone through a series of interactions culture would have gone through a series of integrations when this yearning for self returned now having gone through a series of interactions whether good or bad interactions the re-emergence would see that which was a merely afrocentric culture before the re-emergence would see the culture return in a different formation though it would keep that um, foundational base but the re-emergence would definitely see it coming into being in a whole new formation so because the caribbean had led the way in um freeing of the, the, the slaves caribbean culture um definitely would also have led the way in that re-emergence right now an important part of that history is that when the abolishment happened in america it was also abolishment slash start of civil war because um the north and the south they started the fight mm -hmm. with one fraction saying we are not for this uh, abolishment of slavery stuff and while one side is saying well our industry is more machine operated so it is really cheaper for us to pay a man a normal labor wage than to have to own him to have to house him to have to play security to watch him so that he doesn't run away mm -hmm. so that was basically the start of civil war so america would have gone through all that type of process as well while the caribbean somewhat our culture started to um, advance into that re-emergence now it's important to note as well that amongst these re-emergences would have definitely been art forms like kaiso jazz r&b blues latin just to name a few but though as you know all those things that i had mentioned are, are genres but amongst these re-emergences the instrument that re-emerged and further evolved would have been the steel pan right so amongst these re-emergences of artistic expressions the thing that re-emerged as an actual instrument is the steel drum and that for me is a phenomenal factor in that the place that the steel drum should take from an organic and heritage standpoint with these other forms so by no means the steel drum should be an imposition to jazz mm -hmm. or blues or r&b or latin and of course for shokaisu 
where they kind of emerge coming from the same land, Trinidad and Tobago. Right. As evidence also of this more evolved free thinking coming out of the Caribbean, even pre the Americas, would have been in the development of some of the Caribbean's scholarship. Kwame Touré, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, Padmo. I mean, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. The other important thing that definitely had took, took place would have been that fact that because of the American economy, they became more advanced as an economy than the Caribbean in a much faster space of time. So you found that the Caribbean economy was way underdeveloped. And the Americans, because of their approach to the economy... <laughs> Um, saw them grow way faster. So there was a large percentage of immigration of West Indians specifically to parts of America. This integration definitely would have contributed largely to the further evolution, I would say, to jazz. Because jazz, as though started off as this re-emergence post-slavery jazz also started doing a lot of different interactions globally Mm -hmm. because when the jazz song when the movement went to parts of europe and other parts of the world is where these interactions contributed to where jazz has become today so i am saying one of these interactions would have definitely been the immigration to a lot of a lot of West Indians to America. I remember reading uh, Theonos Monk biography where he made this statement and said that his music was highly influenced by figures like the Roaring Lion and Tiger, mm-hmm. because growing up as a little kid, he would have heard that kind of stuff being played frequently on the radio. Right. Why would that stuff be played frequently on the radio? For the obvious reasons that the radio stations need to play music appealing to the people that live in those areas. And if a high percentage of the people living in those areas would have been West Indians and um, let me say more specifically Trinidadians, you would need to play a little Kaiso music. Right. Another thing that I also came across in my um, investigation and this said um, topic would have been um, in more recent times, Marcus Miller making that statement and saying that when he was a kid, he used to think, (laughs) well, this was quite a joke for me, that when he grew up, he would start talking like a Trinidadian. (laughs) For the reason being that probably 80% of the adults that was around him spoke like a Trinidadian. So he used to think like, when we are young, I speak like an American, like, like like he was speaking. And automatically, when I grew up, I'll start speaking like an uh, like a Trinidadian. <laughs> so there's some other factors that um, some of our noteworthy practitioners of the art form, you know, made mention of to show the amount of integration that had taken place between the both arm forms. I mean, even in Trinidad and Tobago, some of our most dominant contributing artists towards the, um, the Kaiso music would have been persons that would have been exposed largely towards um, the jazz art form. 
definitely coming to my mind mostly would be Lord Kitchener. Mm-hmm. He would have been an, an upright bass player. And when you listen to Kitchener's music, the harmonic attributes of it, it shows that it's someone that has definitely have been exposed to that art form of that level. And he definitely would have combined the harmonic aspects of the jazz world towards um, our local type rhythm, creating a, something that uh, is simply phenomenal. Of course, combined with his um, compositional um, skills, Kitchener set the foundation for many other writers to come. Kaiso and um, local expressions also interacted with jazz and contributed to it. But the same thing happened vice versa. interesting though in the parallel between uh, American jazz and its influence from Kaiso and then Calypso in Trinidad and its influence from jazz is that jazz in the Americas actually is still going on like we still have new jazz artists trying to push that art form forward and they still have a root in that and it still influences a lot of genres coming out now but you don't hear a lot of Kaiso or Calypso artists anymore in Trinidad. It seems like as one genre influences another, they start pushing the other genre and they seem to forget the history or the, the importance of the, the root. So do you know of any like artists really pushing that art form still in Trinidad for Kaiso or even Calypso? I think definitely, but before I even try to identify anyone, I think I could bring some level of reasoning as to what may have somewhat caused that. I think in Trinidad, we didn't really organically go through that process of independence to republic state. That, that status of a republic is when people, they have gained their own identity. They are no longer under a colonial ruling anymore. And they have gained their own identity and they have developed their own institutions in all the various types of institutions that a society should process. Their political institutions, their own uh, educational institutions, their financial institutions, etc. So did we in Trinidad and Tobago really go through that process or that phase to develop our own identity and our own institutions to really gain that republic status not really no we didn't at all just gave into colonialism we just we just we adopted all the systems that the colonial master left for us so because of that definitely in trinidad you would always find that thing that speaks to a non-appreciation and a non-awareness for self Mm -hmm. because the society is structured that way 
the society is structured where we totally adopt and embrace the um, systems that were left there for us. Right. And because the society is structured for that, um, mainly our educational system would be structured like that. And to carry it a little further, except for the people that break free from that kind of thinking, the artists will also be structured like that. Right. And that's something that I always found really interesting too, though, is because we, when we talk about Pan a lot, we talk about uh, the, the emergence of it and how, how proud we are of the, the rebellion kind of uh, attitude that comes with the forming of Pan and the, the evolution of the instrument itself. But a lot of the, the pushback from it were from our own people who really wanted us to just adhere to that colonial mindset and keep going to school and learning what they need to do in order to be successful from that standpoint. So when it actually became accepted from the general society as an instrument that we can use to push forward, to me it seems like it became accepted as a tool to push us forward in a, that same colonial standpoint. And has it even retained that sense of rebellion that started the whole thing in any of the institutions that we've made for it? In any of the institutions we have that we have made for it, mm-hmm. from a from a governmental standpoint, I'll definitely say no. Right. But though there are institutions that being run from a more private standpoint that are really um, dealing with that that thing that speaks to heritage restoration, which is um, restoring the root of the thing or the original spirit of the thing, which is uh, more than anything else. That yearning to understand self and evolve self and become excellent in self. In terms of defining self as Trinidadian, I mean, there's nothing that is more Trinidadian than Pan. Mm-hmm. My, my institution, the Deltones Institute of Steel Drums and Music, in our infantile stages, though we're now kind of coming out of that infantile stage, our syllabus approach, our awareness approach spoke mainly towards that thing of heritage restoration and developing that awareness of self as the basis of all the other music ed um, situations. Because my thing about it, let's talk music ed. No matter where you go in the world, C major skill is C major skill. Right. No matter where you go in the world, a quarter beat is a quarter beat. What sets me aside from that other society is that my C major scale, my consciousness of the C major scale, I have as a foundation a true awareness of self. I have as a foundation a true identity. So now, it's not that that true identity brings about a competition with other um, cultures, but it allows you to take that space in the globe. Mm Mm-hmm. As opposed to your identity is trying to adopt someone else. Right. Then you will never really have a space in the global hemisphere. Can you give an example of it? Like uh, a sense of identity in your approach to music? Understanding the instrument for what it really and truly represented. Which was a voice of the voiceless. It was that thing that spoke to, hey... I am a human being and I should be allowed to express myself as a human being. Right. That's the social thing behind it. And then now when we develop some level awareness of self as that, 
you would now take the other step of being able to appreciate that. Right. So because you now appreciate that, you now be able to appreciate the way you talk. Right. You now can now appreciate the way that you eat. So now it's your not food. It's your, not just another instrument that you're playing other genres of music. It's a whole sense of identity. As that it's a sense of identity. It. Right. And when now that you really appreciate that, you now get on the path of becoming self-excellent. That should be the mantra of every human being, mm -hmm. of becoming self-excellent. And the people that has taken leadership positions in the world as world powers, that's what they are. They become self-excellent, excellent in their self. They're not trying to be like anyone else. Right. Because if you're trying to be like someone else, the thing of self-excellence is unattainable because you're not even trying to be yourself. I think the foundational approach is to get that student on that path of thinking about self-excellence. Let me take a more specific, exa specific example. You're not afraid of an expression like that. Right. You don't find that expression to be corny. <laughs> right. You don't find it to be, what is that? You find that to be more, the most amazing thing ever. So now, because you find it to be the most amazing thing ever, you would see the need to go and further research it and develop it and explore it and evolve it. And all that is branches of being self-excellent. Right. You know, so um, that's our approach to it, really. My album, Kusume, is one of our projects that we had engaged in using albums. Because that's, that's another one of the ideas. Our albums that we produce, concerts or what have you, or festivals, we all see it as an extension of the classroom. Right. So the album is not for the sake of entertainment mm -hmm. whilst it may be entertaining but is more uh, a thing to bring about further awareness so it's just furthering the education and furthering the exploration of self definitely i think from a conscious standpoint bringing to public awareness that integration that we had spoken about because to produce this album kusume it was done as a cultural exchange project between Trinidad and Tobago, Deltoons Institute of State Drums and Music, Trinidad and Tobago, with students from Berkeley's College, so also students from the New England Conservatory, and also uh, Manhattan School of Music. To bring into the public domain that integration that had taken place between both societies and the results of it. Now, I don't think that um, conversation has been spoken about enough. I think both societies, you know, we, we need to um, engage in that conversation some more as a point of heritage restoration. When as societies we engage in that conversation of heritage restoration frequently, it gives way for further evolution and revolution. Right. What is Kusume? Kusume is a term that came out of the culinary arts in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. It's that point where... Say your grandmom was cooking a dish consists of rice, peas, chicken, veggies, a pumpkin, this, that, and the other, onions, seasonings. That point where all those plural elements now become one singular element, and as we call it in Trinidad, and it becomes a pilau. Right. That's the point when she says, son, the pot kusume. It means that the pot or the dish it now comes together and it forms an amalgamation.
as I said, is where plural now becomes a singular. The music in Kusume speaks to that. An amalgamation of sound coming together to form one unit, mm -hmm. to form one sound. And of course, having as the foundation of the instrumentation would be that instrument, to me, that is most organic on a history level towards this, all these reemergences. And by no means bashing the trumpet or any wind instrument or the piano or anything. But I am saying, based upon history, right. based upon heritage, the instrument that is most organic, that re-emerge via the same situation or in the same time as these um, other re-emergences in the West, would have definitely been the steel drum. Wind instruments were not really part of that process. Right. Not saying by no means that it shouldn't be part of the music as well, mm -hmm. but I'm just speaking in terms of organicity. Right. From those historical um, justifications that we spoke about earlier, the steel drum is definitely organic place amongst these expressions. Okay. But do you think because the wind instruments and pianos and other percussive instruments have been around for such a long time yeah. that they've kind of lost their sense of history and their sense of identity, at what point do you think steel drum is going to hit that point do you think that it's our our job to maintain that history or do you think it's inevitable that we're going to lose our sense of identity with the steel drum i think it's it's very much important that we maintain that identity the thing about it as a fraternity the steel drum now exists in an era where we are allowed to evolve with technology mm -hmm. When the other wind instruments and all those other instruments that has spent over, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of years before we even became a thought, they did not have that advantage or that resource to evolve as an instrument fraternity using technology. Right. So a lot of trial and error, a lot of processes. And I'm saying the steel drum as an instrument because we came about within the century that has gone. We now have that advantage that we could really unite as a body, that we can really become one global fraternity. This can be easily done via technology. As we move forward into the future, that we can really maintain our identity because identity is the most major part of a thing. Mm -hmm. One of our mentors of the Institute, Hugh Masakela, I remember him saying... No, he wasn't speaking of an instrument specifically, but of a people at large. Mm -hmm. That in the near future, African children would be saying stuff like, they once used to say that we were Africans. So he, he, he's predicting, based upon how things are going and how things are transforming, that Africans could totally use, lose their identity right. in the near future. I'm saying, as a fraternity we should put mechanisms in place to ensure that our identity is not lost at all. Because, as we said earlier, the steel drum was not just a mere instrument for sound. The steel drum was a, we could safely say, it's, it's a social entrepreneurship type mm -hmm. thing. It's that thing that made a lot of, if so, to be people on the other side of the law, became most disciplined, upright citizens, contributing positively to society. Is that thing that caused an awareness of self, that caused people to want to be self-excellent. 
so many other things that comes with the identity of the steel pan. Right, and its excellence is pretty much rooted in our acceptance of its heritage and our embracing of, of our own history. And Certainly. Uh, we're Certainly. gonna take a we're gonna take a quick break so that I can make sure that everything is running properly. Cool. Resume, right? Cool. Talking a little bit about really maintaining the heritage of, of steel pen and steel drum in like how we play and everything. And I think my concern is kind of rooted in an argument that me and Freddie have a lot with our steel pen versus steel drum. And um, I feel like the argument, not between ourselves, but within the community, is always a dichotomy where it's like a binary argument where it's either steel drum or it's steel pen. And I agree with arguments for both, and I don't see why it can't be both. But I think the, the danger in moving forward strictly with Steel Drum is losing the identity of where Steel Pan came from and, and trying to integrate it into the, the mainstream or international fraternity of instruments is kind of losing what makes Steel Pan special and so, so rebellious in the first place. So how do we move forward with striking a balance between the two, because I think that we should maintain both the steel pan and steel drum, but I also think that it's kind of inevitable that we lose its identity once it becomes accepted internationally. Firstly, within deciding upon a thing is the awareness of the consciousness of a thing. It just shouldn't be from the standpoint of a mere name. So in doing so, undoubtedly, the drum would have definitely been a rebellion tool. A tool that was recognized, sorry, as a rebellion tool by the colonial master then, and also banned. So because of that, the drum in itself was always placed into a type of limelight and always boxed into a kind of category. So within addressing persons that have a problem with the word steel drum from that perspective i think it's it also speaks to being afraid of that term drum right that term that was deemed as a a rebellion kind of thing or a freedom kind of thing a lot of people still subconsciously are actually afraid of the drum not the drum in that physical thing with some skin and a piece of wood but socially what the drum has represented and the history that is it has possessed relevant um, trinidad society that's kind of interesting because then it's also a fear of heritage 
right? Definitely is a fear heritage. Coming from a country that uh, possess such a colonial history, one of the um, end games, sorry, of colonialism is to be able to return to one space and still have that exact system that was implemented follow through right. without presence. Because the presence is now in the mind of the people. Because of that, I mean, the drum definitely becomes something scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That's why um, in Trinidad, religious practices like Shango and Arisha was actually illegal at one point in time. Right. It's for the same reason. And it's still kind of viewed with a little bit of vitriol generally from society. Yeah. Now, and the thing about it is not for differences in philosophies of the religion itself. It's, right. It's not even that. No. It's not people saying, right, okay... That view of God, I don't agree with that. It's not even that. Yeah. It's just merely for the for the heritage of the thing. Right. The the Afrocentricness of the thing. It's just a baseline fear. Of, yeah, of... it's just a baseline fear. So then how... Because I know you, you're running your own school and, and you, you educate a certain way to kind of circumvent that kind of thought process because you encourage critical thinking and you encourage a connection with heritage. But how do we how do we spread that message like across Trinidad and how do you spread that mindset? Because the government doesn't give a shit about maintaining heritage or, or pushing an idealistic version of steel pan forward to the people. So how do we take it into our own hands and push that forward? I think taking it into our own hands is more than just within the music itself. Mm-hmm. But it's really going deep into heritage restoration and restoring that that has gone to bring about a sense of that which should be as we go forward as a fraternity at large. And so you find heritage restoration, social studies, history should become a common discussion or a common approach in the various educational institutions that have as its um, core steel pan. Right. It shouldn't really just be the playing of the pan and learning of some theory. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. You know, we, we, we kind of see it as an accomplishment. Some of us can read and write music now. Yeah. We, we yeah, are reading yeah. the music now. It's so disappointing too because <laughs> a lot of the, the formal educational like uh, institutions just treat it as a regular instrument. Yeah. And they will teach you music theory as if you're, you're playing a piano, if you're playing a guitar. They don't really embrace, like we were talking about earlier, the, the heritage and the identity uh, of Steel Pan. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of brings us full circle to the coming back to, to Kaiso and our roots musically, not just with the instrument itself, but uh, trying to figure out where we came from in the first place to how we can most beneficially move forward. Certainly. The instrument has so many other dimensions as just being categorized as something for the sake of entertainment. Right, and limiting ourselves is the biggest mistake we can possibly make. Because, look right here, that is one of the reasons why Bob Marley's initial um, following in America was not really the large-scale black community. Mm Mm-hmm. It was not, there were blacks, but it would have been the upper middle blacks and whites. Right. Because the, his music wasn't merely entertainment. Whilst he was entertaining, but the purpose was not really for any mere entertainment. It was to bring about a, a consciousness 
and awareness to take a look into social situations. But why do you think that it resonated more with uh, upper middle class whites and because Because the blacks are poor. And because you're poor, you kind of just want to do some dancing and singing and go home. <laughs> but then you, you, how, you don't want to have to think about all that stuff but then how does that explain the emergence of, of jazz and blues from the the working class black people from from they being practitioners of it or yeah from they being from them being practitioners of it well at that point i would think because the, the reemergence of it happened just at that point of post-slavery we didn't grow as a society as it to have different fractions there wasn't in its master monk a poor fraction, middle class fraction, higher middle class fraction, because we were mainly all at this point in time in our history mm-hmm. um, ex slaves. Okay. We had not as yet grew where some become more wealthy, you know, so um, we, we're kind of just one universal set, but for a few at that point in time. Okay. And this is the point in time of Bob Marley's emergence in the international scene? No, no. Bob Marley would definitely be, have been way later way, on. Way later on yeah, so we're, like, we're just talking about the emergence of jazz and yes. blues on the scene. Okay, yes. I get it. That's one of the things of um, colonialism, so to speak. Whereas they don't really want to have you thinking about all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They like the thing of your, from a culture standpoint, you you dance, you sing, and you, you, you go home and, yeah. and figure out how to... That's survive the, most, the next day it's the most profitable black person yeah just sings and dances for yeah, you sings and dance and you go home the next day but when you start inciting further thought um about the city that you really exist in ah that's a trouble guy there mm-hmm. yeah that's a trouble guy there that guy um actually ends up on the other side of the law in many cases yeah you can even just look at uh, harlem as just a, a micro community as soon as the, the jazz and blues scene started exploding in Harlem, mm-hmm. they introduced crack to the community Good. and just stifled the evolution of the art form entirely. Good. Yeah, it's crazy. Good. So then coming back to the whole steel drum versus steel pan thing, I think moving forward that it's most beneficial that we embrace both, right? Yeah, definitely. And strike a balance. Definitely. But we embrace it with, as its foundation a certain type of awareness mm-hmm. an awareness that does not shy us away from our heritage right when we imply that awareness to the thing then it really becomes not too much of a big thing if some choose to say steel pan or in another sentence you call it steel drum the thing about it is our the identity of the thing from an awareness standpoint mm-hmm. is maintained right and just understanding the importance of both just both in terms of like heritage and then in terms of uh, acceptance with it as as an instrument in in the entire international musical community. Certainly, certainly. Simply to know that your God is but one Neither be cats nor be gotten
so now I kind of want to go into just questions that I'd like to ask most guests that come onto the podcast. When was the moment that you actually fell in love with Steel Pen? It would definitely be as a child. My dad would have carried us to the neighborhood or the community steel band, the Sapphire Deltons, which I am now the leader of and which we has now we have now evolved into the Deltons Institute. But as a child, you know, going there to listen them play was like a magical type situation. Now, I must say that previous to actually him carrying us there, I already had started to play the instrument at my um, primary school. Mm-hmm. But the real love came when I saw those, let's say, 110, 120 players playing together. The kind of feelings that evoked for me, like, um, right. it was like magical, man. So much so that I used to go back to school the, the next following day and tell my friends, you know where I was last night? Yeah, you're right. I was in Delton's Spaniard. And it meant so much for me that... I didn't care how they took it. Like, mm-hmm. if it didn't mean something for them. But for me, it was equivalent to, I don't know, like how those church, a lot of kids pie in the sky was going to Disney World. Right. Going to Delton's Spaniard was like that for me. And worse, anytime we leave the house at, at evenings, we just go for, we'd have to go for those evening drives. Mm-hmm. I would have um, carried my uh, pan stick with me, hoping this is one of the occasions my father would decide to um, pass there. Yeah thing of walking on reverend ground and probably just getting to touch all of those plans briefly right i mean i, I wouldn't even sleep for the night <laughs> so my my love would have um come at that point in time yeah because i mean playing in a pannier and we talked about this briefly earlier is so much more of a, a spiritual experience yeah and playing in any kind of formal musical yeah. setting yeah so now um what a like about three things that you do outside of steel pen that defines you to, to stay alive? I definitely do a lot of uh, community work. Mm-hmm. It's my view that based on our coming into being in this part of the world, we as a, a people would definitely need a lot of focused attention to be able to become. And to be able to have uh, fair opportunities for our youths, etc. If no one takes up those kind of mantles within the community, you would find a lot of the youths kind of just naturally fall by the wayside. The institution of mentorship becomes a, a serious institution as well. Whereas in the communities, the black communities, the youths don't have a lot of mentors to look up to. Right. People, they, they could pattern themselves to want to be like. That would be another thing that I spend a lot of time engaging in. All of that also is kind of rooted around my institution. You know, all of that becomes a facet of the institution itself. Right. So the institution isn't just about pan education. Definitely not. The institution bears a higher um, social face as well and spiritual face as well. Right. Another thing is that um, I'm on the board of directors of an agricultural NGO called YFAM, which my, um, my little brother happens to be the founder of, mm-hmm. you know, because um, within educating a people, within rehabilitating a people, 
within bringing about an awareness to our people i think an important factor to that is one being able to feed his or herself right and one being able to be totally in control independently as to what their intake of our, our food is you know so um we have this um, educational ngo called y farm y farm means we help youth farm y farm and of course in in a more immediate sense my family because i'm a husband i'm a father mm-hmm. that would also be another thing that i engage in or wear another cap of to um bring some level of grownness to me right. as, as a person i find that pretty incredible though that most of the things that you do outside of pan seem altruistic and that you don't do anything specifically for yourself you know what i mean yeah, because definitely. generally like personally speaking uh, a lot of the projects that i do is with a lot of other people in mind because i do gain a lot of satisfaction through through helping people mm-hmm. but i also really enjoy my isolated time to myself like i will watch movies i'll read books and i'll play video games and that's just like a form of meditation for me does that is there nothing like that for you though i do read a lot what kind of books in terms of uh literature I kind of live within the Maya Angelou kind of thing. So poetry or autobiography? Poetry, yeah. Um, and a lot of history stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of history and um, us as a people, trying to understand us as a people, trying to understand um, events that have took place in the world and how it was influenced, the outcomes of it, um, what was the objectives of it. Because... Um, there's nothing new under the sun, man. <laughs> yeah, it's all a cycle. It's all a cycle. And within understanding things that have gone by, it allows you the opportunity to um, approach a lot of situations that is, is about to happen or happening. It's allowed you the opportunity to, um, to, to, to jumpstart your understanding of it. Mm-hmm. I'm a freak of bios of musicians also. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of collect a lot of them. So sometimes when I travel to play... I think usually guys they, in the spare time they do malls or restaurants or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of spend my time doing bookshops, increasing my um, collection. All right. What are three books that you would recommend that changed your perspective? Capitalism and Slavery, Eric Williams. Ooh, nice. <laughs> the biography, I can't remember the exact name of it, but the biography of uh, Che Guevara. Okay which um, also encompassed that cultural side of why Cuba became such a powerful force with their culture, etc. Mm-hmm. But looking at it through a window of um, Che Guevara's life, you know, brings about a, a perspective that is um, really unique. Mm-hmm. And explains a lot of it in a real deep sense. Oh, yeah. Especially coming from... A perspective of capitalism. Definitely. Yeah. Herbie's autobiography. Herbie Hancock? Yeah. There's a specific name for it. Excuse me, I'm not too good at names, remembering names. But Herbie speaks of a lot of situations that spoke to me while I was reading his book as well. That situation of young, talented piano player going against the great somewhat in a lot of situations becoming successful at a lot of different um, uh, piano competitions as a young guy in the classical field. Then that situation of 
getting through into the limelight at a young, young age, mm -hmm. becoming a, a, a piano player for Miles Davis, who's like the stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and be, being able to deal with that, channel your emotions, and don't become egoistic about it, etc. And then that situation of him parting ways with Miles in a kind of unfortunate way, mm -hmm. Because he even started started to develop some level of popularity and he married and he started to grow into a man and have his own mind, etc. So he had that to deal with. And after leaving Miles Davis, developing his own identity as where he wanted to take his artistic career. So he went through a series of things where um, he had uh, that electronic thing happening mm -hmm. where they dressed up in dashi keys mm -hmm. and had big afros. <laughs> and then he had another era, which was more like straight ahead, sounding kind of stuff. And then another era, we um, started to integrate a lot of different other cultures into the thing. Mm. So I think Herbie Hancock's career encompasses a lot of different situations that young exceptionally talented persons yeah. kind of have to overcome as they go through their yeah. career it's, it's a real fascinating look in in the way that a person a musician evolves throughout their career and sticking to one sound yes definitely yeah i agree i agree and also being as spiritual as he is yeah is another thing you know that for me it um reading his um life story really helped me to what to say not kind of reinvent a wheel mm-hmm because, you know, um, a lot of things that he spoke about and, and went through, I faced them in my own lifetime as well. Also, oh, very importantly, that thing to you, you have a goal to develop a thing and you stick to it. You'll face criticism. You would face all sorts of negativity. Mm -hmm. But if you have that gut instinct that you want to do this particular thing, you stick to it. Yeah. And you stick to it. There are great words by our... Uh... The late great Kanye West that says let your haters be your motivators okay, and I feel cool. like <laughs> I feel like yes, yes. that applies that yes. applies to a lot of musicians definitely definitely and he probably read Kirby's book as well <laughs> <laughs> last question who are your top five most influential musicians at, at the top of the list would definitely be Mr. Carlton Zander Alexander mm -hmm. who I uh, met at the age of 14 yeah, he had just returned from Canada not too long and started to be the arranger for Deltones. That time I was a mere player at Deltones, probably in, um, yeah, I was 14, probably in Form 1. Mm -hmm. And um, he saw the talent in me. I think our first set of interactions was him always trying to um, get me to do some inversions of a chord scale. Mm -hmm. So I'm young in the pan here. I love to play the pan, but I love to play also. Right. Generally, because I'm a kid. So he asked me to play the chord scale. And I did um, the root um, inversion. 1357, 1357, 1, right. That's going through the um, different tonalities. He said, oh, you can do the 1357. So let's say you do the second inversion. Let's say you take it from the 3571. Mm -hmm. It's 3571, like... Because I've, I've never had a um, challenge to even think about that before. Right. And I kind of flopped it. <laughs> right. And then um, he would come again, like consistently. He forced me to actually, at, at that young age, start to um, broaden my whole harmonic perspective yeah. correctly. Him being a, a student of Barry Harris, and um, I've actually lived with him, and so he, he has kind of grown to be more than just a mentor. He's almost like my second dad, kind of. 
for most of his musical situations, I kind of perform the function as a musical coordinator. Mm-hmm. The bands that he works with, or not all of them, but some of them, and um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Second to the left will definitely be Hugh Masakila. Hugh Masakila? Yeah, definitely be Hugh Masakila. When I worked with Hugh Masakila two years ago, Hugh Masakila was that embodiment of all that in real time of that personality that I have read about so much mm-hmm. in a lot of different successful musicians. Okay. In terms of a professional approach to a thing and being extremely disciplined and committed about a thing that is Hugh Masakila. All right. Five minutes later, rehearsal is like a insane idea. <laughs> yeah, it's like a totally insane idea. You know, being professional, being business-like, being able to communicate well, you know, Hugh Masakila definitely had that influence on my life. I would also say probably Teddy Clive Zander, that is the older brother of um, Carlton Zander. Right. I played with him as his pan player for quite a number of years. He's quite an innovative musician. He threw me into a lot of situations. For example, we'd rehearse a thing one way and have a structure one way. He always say jazz or improvised music. The performance is the arrangement. Right. So right there on the stage, he will just dismantle that entire thing. <laughs> show A and B and C and D. And After a whole rehearsal one way. Yeah. And um, if you're not able to swim, it's either you swim or you're drunk. Right. But a, a lot of times, I mean, I must have went down below the water a couple of times. But, but I swam. <laughs> Len Booksy Sharp. Yeah. I really respect him as a player as a mentor and what he was able to do right you know Bugsy came out of a situation in Starleaf as he said in I Music one of his first compositions Mm -hmm. I think he was kind of felt stifled and um, wanted his voice to be heard and developed this situation phase two you know that that is something like very um, commendable in my book I really um, admire Bugsy for his courageousness you know, he's a kind of courageous, fearless individual. He's not too political in wanting to say something. Right. If he thinks that should be said, whether he's in the midst of a, the parliament, he would say it. Right. While on um, pan players, it's definitely last but not least Jason Batiste. Jason for me is um, almost like the pinnacle of skill as a pan player for me. Okay. His force sticking technique and his approach to it in its infantile stage is almost like a, it's like a handicap in its undeveloped stage. Mm-hmm. Someone who takes up that technical approach, which is like dwindling for the first time and tries to play with it using his concept of playing, you would definitely feel like a handicap. Yeah, like you're learning something entirely new. Entirely you never played new. before. Yeah. I mean, apart from didn't play pan before, like you never really used your hand before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Because I've definitely attempted to use that technique playing double seconds before. And yeah. it feels so alien. Yeah. And he has developed that to a point that is like mutant, man. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like way, way, way beyond. And that's the thing with me, with mentors. I think it could be a very deadly thing looking to one figure mm-hmm. as a mentor. Now, you did ask me about musicians. 
So I, I could not have really um, go into other persons I have as mentors in my life. Mm-hmm. And they are not actually musicians. But if sticking to your thing though, I think it could be a deadly thing looking for mentorship in one person. Mm-hmm. I think is more so is getting mentorship in certain areas of persons that they excel in. Right. I know a guy, his timeliness is not too on point. But he's one of my mentors. I just wouldn't look towards him for that. Right. I would look towards him for the other areas that he really has excelled in. Mm-hmm. And um, vice versa with the other persons. Right. So it's just cautionary tale of hero worship, pretty much. Definitely. Because everybody has a different perspective. And it's up to you as an individual to determine what you value. Definitely. All right. Definitely. Well, that's it, man. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming through. Cool. <laughs> Episode number 12 with Akinola. Akibola. <laughs> <laughs> Are we in seventh grade here? <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed those that, that whole conversation, man. Like he's he's a cool cat. He has really great intentions. Like I love what he's doing with the culture, the education, the music. His head's in the right place. He's smart. Mm-hmm. He's loyal. He's loyal. <laughs> <laughs> Go buy yourself a house. Holla back, Modi. Yo, Aki, we love you, dog. <laughs> yeah, this is our um, last episode here at Three Panis. And we just want to wrap up everything by saying thank you guys for um, listening to our wonderful podcast throughout the season. And listen, we love you guys. We love you. You love us. Yeah, we me. haven't we haven't given thanks to, to everybody that made this podcast possible. Yeah, yet, man. Amanda, first of all, we gotta big up our big No 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 no. First and oh. foremost, <laughs> let's Damn, thank Khalil Chu for for making Whoa, this possible. Shame. Oh wow. Wow. Not the sponsors, but no. Khalil <laughs> Fortune. Excuse me. I know the sponsors, and the sponsors were Khalil Chufor, <laughs> Freddie Harrison, <laughs> and, <laughs> and Iman Pascal. We cannot leave out the homeboy. Chuck. Oh yes. Hey, we got Chuck coming on next uh, next um next season. season for real. Um, Chuck is gonna be our little in-house DJ. Y'all gonna love yeah, him. You know I'm saying we stepping up the show a notch. You know what I'm saying we can't stay on one level for. I told y'all earlier in the episodes that this shit is on levels. So what we, what and if y'all don't know who Chuck is, it's levels Chuck to this shit. Is an expert bassist on that six bass. Yes, yes. Chuck play a nice little six bass, and he been venturing on a little tree panda. That's dope. But the main thing, he's willing to give his time, effort, energy. And his good hands towards the um, podcast. So, we're going to be welcoming my boy on Chuck. Chuck Berry! Yeah, no, no, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> What's his um, YouTube? The Chapeteer? Chapeteer. With three E's? Ch- yeah, Chapeteer. Chapeteer. 
Yo, big up Chuck. Yo, Chuck, thank you for them mics last year. You feel me? I mean, last year, like, for this season here. But um, we didn't get a chance to use it because we need some extra little jump offs to get that shit popping. Yeah, yeah. It didn't but make sense to try to use come. them for this season. Soon come, though. We're going to be lit. You gonna yeah, we'll find a way to use them. You got us sure. loose. You got us loose right now. And we appreciate that. Chuck was actually one of our first sponsors, and we appreciate you, Chuck. Thank you very much. Sponsored by Chapeteer. <laughs> and then, of course, a huge thank you to Amanda Rosado, our engineer. Amanda! Amanda! Amandy! Amanda Zoo, we love you. You are the sugar honey iced tea. That's why we love you. Mad effort. Amanda. Feel me? Yeah. She was a day one, right? Yeah, she been on. She been on from now to the death of the... You feel what I'm saying? She did this shit like Always a marriage. Always hold me down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 but yeah, this pretty much brings the the season to a close, sadly. But um, I really love this as a, as a close to the season because it really brings a lot of the things that we talked about throughout the season together. We stress a lot of importance on on pushing the culture forward, education being the the cornerstone for the future of the instruments and of the music that we put to forward and everything that we do. Yeah. And yeah, we learned a lot this season. Like I thought I knew everything going in. Clearly, I did not. Oh, well, why would you think that? But because anyway. have you seen this face? I have, and I wonder how does he know anything. These are valid concerns. Well, you surprise me every time. So, shall see you. But nah, yeah, you know, like everyone we've spoken to, they really get into education and teaching music how they feel is the right way and growing the next generation. Next generation is very important to all of us because we were the next generation. Mm -hmm. So we want to do better, you know, and by spreading pan like that, you're giving these kids a weapon that they weren't armed with before. Sometimes some of us are, you know, we start a little behind the start line from everybody else. Mm -hmm. So having something like pan, which creates a environment for you to grow but in a safe, but yet you part of the world, and then you still it's still touching your your inner parts that sometimes nobody gets to yeah. music. It's a dope ass environment. So it's an in. incredible environment. So we've all shared a kind of similar mindset as with almost every interview we've done. Um, ditto. ditto. <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> um. At the, the beginning of the, the season, we, we talked a lot about... Because we, we didn't start off talking about education. We talked about things that really hit us and sometimes hurt us in the band community. Things like respect and things like appropriation. Yes. Things like gentrification of our neighborhoods yes, and things like that. Topics. So, like, these are equally as important. Because if we're building a future for the future of steel pan and, and steel drums, whatever Freddie wants to call it, um, <laughs> Drum. we have to make sure that that future is a better place than we left it 
So yeah. these same topics that we discussed coming out the gate going into the podcast uh, are things that we need to address as a community and things that we need to fix, not just talk about it in a, in a confined space where nobody can challenge us on our ideas, but bring it to people who push the antithesis of what we try to bring to the table and try to find out why why they're doing that. Why you doing that, yo? Why you doing that? The people of today are the leaders of tomorrow. We definitely got to keep that in mind. While we pushing pan forward and we're moving on to the next level, like you said, if we're going to create a future for ourselves, we got to have something to stand on. We got to create some form of stability. We talked about also unionizing, too. Mm-hmm. We also talked about the pan community mm-hmm. coming together. That was also a reason why um, where Dane Galston brought together some of the guys down there to protest with the whole... Um, Keith Diaz thing and all of that, you know. We need a little bit more of this. We need a more solid ground to stand on. Yeah, and not just on a whim. Because that whole protest, I still maintain that that whole protest failed. And they're still going. They're still trying to do their thing. But they, it seemed to me, lacked conviction in what they were going for. Despite the, I will not. I, I will, will not. not. <laughs> 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 Man emphasized the not going to Panorama and where'd he end up? Oh, <laughs> right there in Panorama for what? It was $2,000. Oh, shout out, shout, shout out to them. You know, you gotta give respect. Yeah. Full Extreme 2017. Yo, big up All Stars. Yo, I told niggas that was gonna be a day. Yeah. I felt it when I heard it. Yeah. I said, damn, this is like, it's one, of, it's one of the first times that I've actually like turned on the music for all stars and i listened to everybody and i was like shit it's over <laughs> it's <got> over <laughs> i told y'all it was over i just yeah, like this i told it, i told, told y'all yeah. i said yo i heard it and it just took one i heard everybody one time and I, when i ran across them i had it just everything stopped i was like yeah. damn they caught the carnival yeah. spirit yeah that's all you got to just catch the wind blowing with you it ain't even about who got the best arrangement, who got the most players, who got the de- well, the players is definitely that's a you gotta have the that big execution. band sound of course and execution. Players gotta be good, but it ain't even about the best arrangement and the most this and the most that. It's whoever catch the wind blowing that night could win. <laughs> the least band you expect to win could win. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so exciting. But we're getting a little sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Side, side, yeah. Side. So like. No shade to the bands that came out because everybody, well, not everybody did amazing, but most of you did amazing. <laughs> no shade, though. No, no shade, shade, though. No shade. <laughs> no shade. Everybody was good. Yeah, I, I know everybody put that work in and like not to, to minimize your efforts, but there seems to be a big problem from Pension Bagel where they're taking advantage of all of us and this hurts all of us. And we had an opportunity in Dane Gulston claiming that he was not going to Panorama and he was going to make a stand for, for what's right and what we need in the future of Pan and we didn't take advantage of it. I don't know if it was a lack of support from the Pan community or if it was a lack of conviction from the people who were central to that whole protest movement, but we didn't make moves and that's on all of us. I must say, don't be a puppet and that goes in two ways. That means don't stand there and let somebody lead you and then you yourself you just fall on the floor and at the same time don't be led by wicked and false leadership either like we keep saying individual individual you have to stand up too and a bunch of individuals together cannot be stopped I'm sorry yeah this is 2017 don't let them fool you 
Why even try to rule you? I know music. <laughs> I didn't think he was going to jump in with that one. Because, uh, I said to myself, that's a little too deep. Uh, ah, you motherfucker. Yo, you see, see that's me talking shit. And look you, what just happened. You see you got good. Damn it. The Lord just dropped the microphone. <laughs> 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 we look at God. No, sorry, 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 sorry. Joke. So for season two, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Is he going to be the mascot still? We're going to get to that. <laughs> so for, for season two, we're going to try to cut down the time like hard because a lot of these episodes really spilled over into one and a half and two hours long because we really wanted to stress freeform conversation and getting our guests to open up and talk about themselves and their experiences. And those are important conversations to have. But we also recognize that it's not the most entertaining <laughs> conversations to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, we can get a little boring sometimes. Get my meaning. So for, for the next season, we're going to stress the importance of certain topics that we're going to talk about. And we're going to try to cut down the time. We're going to still have a lot of other people on to try to vary the perspectives and still have some lit- lituations on the podcast nice nice and we're gonna address a lot of the the things that people have talked about throughout the first season and the things that people may have problems that people may have with the things that we've said yeah i hope so i want to see some beef pop (laughs) (laughs) you got beef but i do also we we gotta address that we made this first season possible due to yeah the the love and support of those closest to us as the three panelists on the podcast we wouldn't have kept doing it if we didn't get a lot of positive feedback from you guys the listeners but for season two we want to try to vary our content we're trying to bring you guys a lot of videos some musical content mm-hmm. some more in-depth interviews like specifically for for other avenues not necessarily on the podcast itself and we want to try to start traveling with the podcast as well we definitely also Appreciate the feedback that you guys have been giving us, specifically in Freddie's personal messages. <laughs> Yo, I ain't gonna lie, y'all be coming at me hard in that box, though. I ain't gonna even start, though. But we definitely would encourage everybody to reach out to us in a more public avenue so that all three of us can see what your thoughts are and we can respond accordingly. Like, Freddie keeps, like, most of those messages to himself and he will tell us, like, a doctored version of what goes on. Yeah. We collectively would like to read what you have to say. So reach out to us on our website at threepanispodcast.com or on our SoundCloud. You can just search Three Panis Podcast or on our Facebook or reach out to us individually on Instagram and Twitter. I am Iman Pascal. Pascal. Not too Pascal. Iman Pascal Facebook. Rasha T.I. on IG. Also Pascal Music on IG. So link me to her. She like Rastafarian. A little deeper than that, bro. I confused <laughs> a Trini. What the? I'm Khalil Chufo on Facebook. Kufo underscore on both Instagram and Twitter. And that's pretty much all you're going to find me at. Well, you holla at you the real one right now. You think I said F-R-E-D-D-Y-H-A-R-R-I-S-3. The number three at yahoo.com. That's the email. But if you want to check me out online and all that good stuff, it's Freddie Harris 3 everything. That's either Freddie Harris, the number three, or Freddie Harris, Roman numeral three. That's three eyes for anybody that don't know how to accomplish that on your um, computer keyboard. Three eyes, three capital eyes to get you to me. Even on um, lowercase eyes to get you to me. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah. And the link to the Patreon where we cannot stress importance enough is patreon.com slash three panists. Uh, you guys got anything to say to wrap this season up? You want to do a quick pan dab for the road? Um, ready? One, two, three. Pan dab! So this is your most important host, Khalil Chufor, signing off. This was Three uh, Panas Podcast. Um, the first favorite, favorite host, FH3. What? You want to say I that again? I tell you, FH3, your favorite host. You want to stutter that out another time? <laughs> uh, your favorite host. And don't forget it's D. Your, it's your favorite host. Yeah, I was about to ask. You didn't even shout out D. This is the, this is the last episode. I wait, was waiting, but y'all took too long. D? Yeah, man. Who's D? T's nuts! <laughs> <laughs>